This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Welcome to the Hockey Masterclass. I'm Darren Gill, and alongside me every week is highly decorated coach John Goyens. We are two passionate hockey coaches from Montreal and definite hockey junkies. We started the Hockey Masterclass to connect with coaches and parents on minor hockey player developments. We're pleased to be making our debut on 105.9 in the region and assemble the best of of our first 20 episodes featuring the greatest hockey coach of all time, Scotty Bowman, and TSN analyst and TSN scout, Craig Button. So without further ado, here's Scotty Bowman. This week, special guest, the all-time winningest head coach in the NHL in the regular season with 1,248 wins in the regular season, 233 wins in the playoffs. He has his fingerprints on a total of 14 Stanley Cups, but he's here to talk about minor hockey his relationship with the game as a hockey parent, as a hockey grandparent, and still, to this day, a student of the game. Scotty, welcome, and thank you for joining us. It's good to be on, John. You've got all the accolades uh, any hockey coach could want at a professional level. Um, But we wanted to really dive in with your level of expertise on – For example, what does development mean to you? And does it differ and should it differ from minor hockey, let's say to junior college ranks? What are the areas that you think players, coaches, and parents should focus on? Well, in youth hockey, um, obviously, you know, the the hockey is, is such a great game, I think, because of the fact that skating is, and that's paramount right now. It's changed so much over the last decade it's not it's not an easy game to play now because they've changed the game so much that the speed of the game has increased immensely now they're going to track the speed of players and there's a lot more data out there that we had even five years ago but the speed of the game the ability to handle a stick and that's changed so much the more i watch at the higher levels the more you see to me, one of the biggest changes for players in the last, more so the last three or four years, that you have to you have to be able to skate and you have to be able to use the stick. You've got to teach your players now to keep your stick on the ice. The moment that stick leaves the ice, whether unless there's a puck in the air, which doesn't happen very often, your your stick is 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 touching. It seems now that if you touch a player with a stick, and they did put the rule in. They were concerned about the injuries to players. There was some pretty vicious slashes and there was hooking, which impedes players to, to use their skill. But now the trick is very the penalties that they're calling it. It's uh, they've changed the refereeing around. There's not as much judgment. It's more black and white. If your stick comes up and touches a player near his hands. And oftentimes it's when you hit the stick, it's, it's sort of stretched now, and so like if you're if you're coaching a, a team now, uh, those penalties are so crucial because we know the differential now between the power plays. We're early in the season, maybe a quarter of the way in the NHL, but 
Nevertheless, the power plays are such a crucial part of the game. You watch hockey now, a lot of times when it's uh, five skaters against five, there's not much happening because uh, of the uh, different utilization of the ice. The ice is, is covered. And now when you get some, when you get a shorthanded situation, all of a sudden the puck is in the end zone and there's, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made. There's a lot of scoring chances as a result of that. So I always said in hockey, um, there's the two artificial elements. Skating is, an, is a unique skill. The use of the stick, and naturally in baseball, you have a baseball bat, and uh, certainly uh, in other sports, there, there, there's not very many that have to utilize two skills. Uh, I don't know of any other ones because you're, you're using your running, running on your feet. Now you're putting skates on your feet, which is a special skill, and uh, the stick is another skill. And I always said that the hockey player should be judged head, heart, and feet. And the head is something that's you can improve on. Some have it. They have they have the ability to have the uh, they know where their their where their teammates are. They know where their opponents are. Um, they have eyes and, and and they use them and they they're constantly watching watching continuously. It's, it's like a goaltender who's, who's, who concentrates and keeps his position and follows the puck is gonna is gonna be well on his way to being a pretty pretty sound goaltender. So I think in, in the case of a, of a player, the head is important. You can improve a player's uh, vision. You can improve, improve it by continually repetition of making sure of different events that happen on the ice, that this is what you have to do in this situation, puck possession and all things like that. Uh, the heart is is something where it's it's not an easy game to play. It's a team game. Uh, you can have individual success and individual uh, failure. And then you have the team success and team failure. And that's a tough part. You have to pull yourself up when things are not going great and you have to settle down when things are really good. And, um, and then the feet, of course, we talked about it before, is the skating aspect. It's, uh, it's crucial now, uh, not just taking your skates and skating forwards. It's it's your edges. It's your ability to cr cross your legs and go in, in full speed. And skating backwards is also an art now. And uh, turning and the whole, the whole nine yards about skating is something. The good news now is, though, um, skating can be improved. You can. There, there, there are mechanics. There are skating coaches. Same as there are skill coaches. But the skating coaches... Even it used to be just at a young age, but now if a player needs a better stride, if he needs a more force, if he needs more leg strength, there's a lot of different ways they 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 work on these things. I'm not an expert on the skating part, but I know just from watching them. So um, there are the factors that as a as a youth player uh, thinking about youth hockey, and uh, there there's people that uh, that have. I mean, we're all the same. All the parents, they want their sons and daughters to do well. Um, sometimes they, they're, they're ones that uh, experience them themselves. They, you got the, you got the parents that are very logical and, 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 and either made it big or didn't make it at all, but they sit back and they let their, they let their son or daughter uh, do what he's supposed to do, what they're, they're supposed to do. But at the same time, I, uh, I think it's encouraging when you have your own family member, you have to you have to really encourage them. I think you have to 
sometimes use some tough love and uh, you have to be very respectful of your of your kids that they're it's their it's their life and uh, sometimes we take over their lives which i don't know is always a good factor and i i see that from some parents uh, they they um, they try to work the coaches they try to do a lot of different things some of them didn't do it on their own and now they're trying to do it through their own their own child and uh, it's it's a very slippery slope uh, youth hockey And without further ado, we'll welcome in Craig Button. Craig, welcome. Oh, glad to be part of it. So then where should we be investing as minor hockey associations? Because there's another term that we've been talking about besides individual development, because it is a, a team sport. We're, we're developing individuals, but I, I believe that there needs to be more of a collaborative development approach. And you nailed it where we could have more kids on the ice. You know, like if there's a practice and I'm a coach of a U10 team and Darren's a coach of a U10 team. Well, if we're under, in my opinion, if we're under the same minor hockey umbrella and let's say you're the convener, you're the governor, whatever title, there should be no reason why the two of our teams should not be on the ice at the exact same time. And we should be running collaborative practices together and splitting up the ice accordingly to get more kids touching that puck, having fun, being in movement, and so on and so forth. Where should we be investing? Because building arenas is, are so expensive, as we know. Here on the island of Montreal, the newest five-on-five sheet of ice, besides a privately owned arena um, at LCC, a school here, was another privately owned arena, which is the Pierrefonds Four Ice Complex, which is now 24 years old. So is it more an in infrastructure in terms of rinks? Is it just in how we develop, how we split up the ice time? Where should we be investing? Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really important question and, and something that has to be considered. Uh, John, I'm a little bit older than you. Uh, so when I was growing up, uh, the municipalities ran the playing fields, the baseball fields, the football fields, the soccer pitches, the hockey arenas. I always joke about this, you know, and we've heard Wayne Gretzky say, you know, you know, he, he put his skates away and then he played baseball in the summer. We all put our skates away because there was no place to play because the municipalities took the rinks out. They took the ice out and we went outdoors and played. I, I would suggest that if there was ice available, we probably would have played <laughs> because we love playing. But we didn't have the opportunity. So what's happened is, and, and, and this comes down to societal, you know, so how do municipalities, you know, fund rinks, fund playing fields? Well, it's through taxes. Well, when, when taxes get cut and, peop and, and, and people say, well, I don't want to pay more taxes, the luxuries are the first things that get cut. But then what ends up happening is private enterprise comes in. And I'm never going to criticize private enterprise. They're going to, they're going to run rinks. And you know what? They're going to rent ice time out accordingly. And it, it's, not, it's not their job or their mandate to say, we're going to have two groups of, if one group wants to come out and say, we're going to rent the ice, they're U10 and we're going to take the whole ice. Well, that, that's in the private entrepreneur, private entrepreneur's uh, domain and, and, and certainly one that you, you, you certainly respect. But it's got to start from the leadership. And again, we talk about trying to understand how development applies, right? And, and again, I, use, I, I talk about soccer. Do we take grade four kids and teach them grade seven math? 
they haven't had the building blocks to do grade seven math yet. Yeah, there's an exception to every rule and we, we have to allow for that, but we got to apply the same educational uh, principles and the things we've learned in education to sport. Because the one thing we're doing, we're doing a couple of things. We're not developing as best as we could. We're not coming anywhere close to that. And when I say developing, I'm talking about developing athleticism, lifelong uh, enjoyment of, of participating in sport, being injury free, because we're also creating, you know, one dimensional uh, uh, players in, in all sports by having them only focusing on that one sport. And now you run into problems there. So it's got to start from the leadership. The problem is, John, is that too many people in leadership positions, number one, don't have the knowledge. Number two, aren't leaders. That's a wrap on the Hockey Masterclass Best Of. We hope you enjoyed listening. And if you're looking for more content featuring Bowman and Button and some of our other guests like Team Canada goaltender Devin Levi, Tampa Bay Lightning Cup winner Alex Killorn, or former NHLer and player development guru Patrick O'Sullivan, you can check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Thanks for joining us this week, and hopefully we'll speak with you soon. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. This is Mental Health Moments, the podcast dedicated to breaking down barriers and sharing your stories. Brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Welcome to Mental Health Moments, brought to you by 105.9 The Region. I am your host, Phil McCabe, and I've got a very special guest today. Joining me is someone that has been in front of a camera enough to put most celebrities to shame. She's hosted Breakfast Television, reported for CTV's Canada AM, anchored CP24, and one that I learned just ahead of this interview was the sports anchor for City Pulse, the legend Ann Romer. Thank you for joining me, Ann. It always makes me feel like I'm 100,000 years old when I'm called legend. <laughs> there was one other thing that I don't mention very often, but I want to because this is a mental health moment. I was also CBC's first ever female sports anchor. That was a long time ago, and it was a very tough gig, and I didn't do it very well. So I kind of just have erased it. But it was a mental health challenge for me, and it's in the past, but I'm happy to bring it forward with you. Oh, absolutely. And we'll we'll get to that. I actually had some questions in terms of what it was like to be a woman in media in the early days. Now, just a quick Google search. Obviously, you've got quite the career that spans multiple decades, and... Now, you've been in front of the microphone, uh, in uh, this case here at 105.9 The Region, and in front of the camera. So, with this being a mental health-focused podcast, can you try and put into words the kind of effect, that that kind of stardom and, and pressure that comes with those positions? Like, ah, how does that feel for young Ann Romer growing up, and how does that feel for the Ann Romer you are now and the status that you've achieved? Well, after 40 years of trying and trying and crying and trying again, uh, you know, f making mistakes and sometimes making mistakes live on the air, which was really embarrassing and tough. But the Ann Romer 40 years ago, so that would have put me at age 24, that, that person no longer exists. She was uh, sensitive and... Uh, easily hurt, overly ambitious, uh, wasn't as caring as she should have been. That person is gone, and now there is a person that you see before you who 
has ridden the, the long roller coaster of television and radio for 40 years, who appreciates every person that she has worked with throughout the four decades, who is grateful for the guests that she's been able to interview and, and step into their lives for a moment. And those who are not kind to me, those who are critical of me, I just say to them, that's your problem, not mine. And that that's completely fair. I, I think most people that end up succeeding in this broadcasting world that we live in, they they almost have to learn to separate their personal feelings from what they're doing. Um, I had a professor when I was still in college that, you know, he flat out told me, I can't stand Justin Bieber, but if my boss put Justin Bieber in front of me, I'd be like, Justin, huge fan. I'm so excited to meet you. So I, I definitely relate to that. Now, kind of segueing a little bit, anyone that knows me uh, knows that I absolutely hate when I make a mistake. I, I self-loathe, I self-criticize more than anyone I know. And, you know, especially in our world where there's hundreds, if not thousands of people that potentially just heard that mistake, and uh, even more than that in some cases. But the reason I bring that up is because throughout this podcast, we've had uh, a TikTok star with now 22 million plus followers on her fault. And when I interviewed her in January of last year, I believe it was, she had 11 million. So she continues to grow. But anyway, the reason I bring that up is she's got all of her followers. Uh, I interviewed Adjua and CEO Bois from News Talk 1010. She has quite the following of just people in the GTA that know her. More recently, I interviewed a woman, Stephanie Kelly, who was dealing with uh, infertility due to endometriosis. And the common thread across the board was these feelings of inadequacy, these feelings of I'm not good enough. I'm not prepared for this. I can't do this. So with the career that you've had, how how did you go about addressing those kinds of feelings in yourself? And how do you perceive them now compared to the beginning of your career? Great question. And I'll tell you, every show that I was either given or auditioned for or was lucky enough to have, and there were many, many over the 40 years, you know, things like the CBC first female sportscaster, Weekend City Pulse sports anchor, uh, first host of Breakfast Television, first host of City Online, uh, first host of Animal House Calls and On the Quarter and uh, Hot Property, Lead Anchor, CP24. All of these roles, when, when they were offered to me, I of course said, absolutely, and turned inward to myself and said, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm in over my head. What am I going to do? You just try as hard as you can, stay confident about yourself without being overly, you know, indulgent. Uh, and wear your heart on your sleeve and and be as as aware of what's going on around you, the news, the whatever the subject is, you're only as good as your guests. So yeah, I had insecurities and I still do. I'm I'm nervous before yesterday I interviewed Connor McDavid's father and I was a puddle of sweat because I was so nervous. I was sure that I wasn't going to ask the right questions and that he would think I was kind of a, a toad and and that I was silly because he's been interviewed by so many people. But we got through it together. Um, you know, so I guess it's okay to recognize that you've got some shortcomings and feelings of anxiety and you just have to press on. Oh, absolutely. I know through my own experiences, a lot of what's kind of pushed me to get past the the mistakes and the missteps, however you want to word it, has been the thought process of, 
okay, how do I fix it next time? How do I do better next time? And that's something that I genuinely hope I instill in the people that I talk to that, you know, you might have screwed up. You might have done something that you think is going to get you fired, you think is going to be the end of you. Gosh knows I've had several of those just since I started here at the region. And <laughs> it's such a family, such a caring group, but it's hard to stop those feelings from creeping in. And kind of connecting mental health and broadcasting a little bit more. We talked about how I've you've been donned uh, the legend and Romer. Keeping mental health focus, how do you how do you kind of stay grounded and humble through that kind of pedestal that people have put you on? Well, I climb right off that pedestal and I go right back down to earth, which is where I belong and where I've always been. But I think it goes back to great parenting. My my late mother and my father, General Richard Romer, they both instilled in me the necessity to be humble, happy, and hopeful. Those are the three H's that the Romers live by. And I've always felt that way. I've always felt that I am so fortunate to have all the things that have come my way that I've worked for. And I also know that it can disappear in a moment. I also realize that being on television, it isn't who I am. It's my job. Who I am is a person who loves life and loves people and cares genuinely about the very small circle of people that I trust and my family as well. So, you know, it, being able to separate those two things is really, really important. But if someone puts me on a pedestal, I find it embarrassing and I, I can't live up to their expectations. So I take myself right off that pedestal. You know, Phil, and you know this, I don't have any social media presence whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And there is the and the reason for that is... I don't want to be hurt by what people say. So whether it's good or bad, you know, sometimes praise can be confusing mm -hmm. and criticism can hurt. Oh, I, I can definitely understand that. Um, when I was a reporter out in Halliburton, there, the, the criticisms and the praise was never directly pointed at me. But as the person writing the story that people are commenting on, you, you take it personally. Yes. And I, I think we as a society and kind of, semi-broadcasting theme since I've got you in here with me is you almost have to have the disconnect between you at your career and you the person because you will drive yourself absolutely insane. And you... everybody around you. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Now, um, as we said, you've had a career that's gone on for about 40 years now and continues to go. So I imagine that, you know, right now in the modern era, it's all about diversity and all about celebrating everyone's stories and so on. But I, I, can, I can assume that that wasn't really the case when you started out. So what was it like being a, a woman in a very male-dominated world? And how did you get to the, the point where you could break through the glass ceiling with your sports anchor and what have you? Well, it was very tough. And I'll be honest with you, my City TV, City Pulse weekend sports anchor experience was devastating. Uh, I was hired uh, to do the job by Moses Neimer, who gave me, he handed me my career, which was amazing. He also was the one who encouraged me to be the first host of Breakfast Television. So I thank Moses forever and ever for what I've got even today. But the person in charge of the newsroom was not fond of the decision that Moses had made, wasn't fond of me, even though he hadn't met me. And the men in the sports department uh, Two of the four were not happy that another woman was coming in. I was replacing a woman named Debbie Van Kiekebelt. So they made it really difficult, and they did terrible things that I will not repeat, but they did terrible things hoping that I would quit, and I wouldn't quit. One of them even 
used such a, a terrible word to describe me. Starts with a C. And I, I was absolutely devastated, but I would not put up with it. So I soldiered on, you know, like mm-hmm. a good military daughter. And I've said this before, and I've already said it. I cried at night, and then I went back to work every morning and tried to do the best I could without being devastated by what these men were trying to do to me. There were two men who were awful, and there were two who were amazing, Jim McKenney and John Whaley, and I can mention them. And they came to my rescue every single weekend when the other two were hoping that I would quit. And so thank you, John Whaley. Thank you, Jim McKenney. And and so I got through it. The best part was Moses had such vision. I think he may have realized that maybe sports wasn't exactly where I should be. I was there for three years, three long years. And when breakfast television was at the creation level, the creation stage, he thought that I might be the right person to do it. And so I didn't have to continue to soldier on in sports. I was moved into something that was much more to my liking, and that was sharing time with amazing people, great guests, and and pushing the envelope first thing in the morning. And just kind of piggybacking off of that, and that was a fantastic response, but piggybacking off of that, what would you want to say to uh, uh, any young woman, young girl out there that's trying to break through that glass ceiling, that's questioning, you know, is the mental anguish worth the rewards? Like, what would you want to say to a young woman? I would say the mental anguish is worth the rewards, for sure. I would say trust your instincts, know who is on your side, and stay close to them. What is that expression? Keep your your like friends, friends close. close and your enemies closer. <laughs> uh, and And just... Take pride in yourself and be respectful to others. And that is the only, and again, the happy, hopeful, humble uh, is the only way to go, mm-hmm. you know, these days. So don't be aggressive. Don't be combative. Don't be defensive. Just try to be your wonderful, sweet, intelligent, hardworking, kind self. I couldn't have said it any better myself, <laughs> but that's why I bring guests like you on. Uh, and. I, I think that that applies to to anyone out there that's trying to break through the proverbial glass ceiling. Um, I, I'm so glad that you're able to say that because I, I know uh, people of my age range have genuinely grown up with yourself and, and <laughs> the likes of Tina Cortez, our, yes. our boss here, as the people to aspire to. So it's really nice to, to be able to pick the brains of someone that's been there, that's done that, that's reached the feats that you've accomplished. Now, and I've I've got a bit of a theme or uh, yeah a common thread a theme here on mental health moments and i hope you'll indulge me of course uh, phil i like to ask our guests to close with if there's someone out there struggling with mental health either in their career or just in general what would you want them to know what would you like them to hear right now that they are loved that they're going to start to cry they're loved they're respected and there is help out there you know, that's that's a perfect note to close on. You're loved. There's help out there. And absolutely anyone out there that's listening to this that wants to somehow get involved, that wants to share their story, by all means, reach out to us. Uh, you can contact us at info at 1059theregion, or you can contact me, phil, at 1059theregion.com. And thank you so much for joining me. I apologize that we ended on a crying note. That's okay. That You do a great job, and you know how I feel about you. I just think you're wonderful, Phil. Well, thank you. Thank you. If you would like to be a guest on the show or you just want to share your story, either publicly or anonymously, you can contact me at phil at 1059theregion.com, or you can reach out to info at 1059theregion.com. Until then, I close with You Are Loved. 
This has been Mental Health Moments, brought to you by 105.9 The Region. If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health concerns, contact a local agency near you. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.